to the Meal Students and Book Club podcast. My name is James Taylor. And I'm Marco Sparks. What up? What up? Welcome back, Marco. Yeah, welcome back, James. This week on the pod, we're talking about Snow Crash, chapters 41 through 45. Things are really picking up. Uh, might contain one of my favorite chapters of the book. Oh, yeah? Excellent. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, well, let's, um, let's jump right in. Yeah, this first chapter is a great counterpoint to the Fedland chapters we went through last time. Yeah. So YT has been to some unusual places in her career. She has visas for three dozen countries laminated on her chest. Other countries. Um, the weirdest job of all is this new one. Someone wants her to deliver some stuff to the United States of America. It's just like, I'm trying to remember when I first read this, because like when I read it now, I'm like, danger, YT, danger, watch out. I'm yeah. not sure if I picked up on it as much my first time through, but mm-hmm. there's definitely lots of hints here that... Uh, she should be concerned. Well, I think especially when you're when you're reading something with a fine tooth comb and then mm-hmm. talking about it. Yeah. Like the last episode, you really are like, oh no. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Uh yeah, she picks up this envelope in the burbs, makes a sarcastic comment asking if they just don't want to mail the envelope. But everyone knows that the mail only works in Fedland anyway. Um in fact, mailboxes were all unbolted and live in the homes of nostalgia freaks. <laughs> again, there's this kind of prescience to Neil Stevenson's work again, especially like dealing with issues in the mail in the era of Louis DeJoy. Yeah, yeah. Um, I like this uh, paragraph here. It says, no point in describing the office, no point in even allowing the office to register on her eyeballs and take a valuable memory space in her brain. I like that a writer is, is having a character say this, you know. Yeah. Uh, fluorescent lights and partitions with carpet glued to them. I prefer my carpet on the floor. Thank you. A color scheme, ergonomic shit, chicks with lipsticks, Xerox smell. Everything's pretty new, she figures. Uh, so it's this sounds like an office that didn't exist like two days ago. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, she's talking to the guy who's like giving the package, says it'll take a while to deliver because of the new Fedland customs process. He's got traces of a Southern or Texan accent. Danger, danger, YT. Yeah, yeah. Normally she would take this role, but it's been a slow day of no top secret missions from the mafia. The guy wants her name, but she won't give it. Um, well, he asks like, um, uh, he says, it's not important. When do you think you'll get it there? And she says, two hours max. And he's like, why so long? You know, he's very inquisitive. Like, what's your name? You know? Yeah. She's like, okay, be that way, she mentally says. She mentally says a number of other things, too. The man is an obvious pervert. It's so plain, so open. And your name is? Give me a break, man. YT assumes that most older men are perverts, and she's right, you know? Yeah, she's not wrong. Yeah. Uh, She skates out there. The place has no logo, so she calls uh, Radix to see who initiated the call. Um, It's Rife Advanced Research Enterprises. Rare for short. Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. Yeah. which, which of course, I don't. I it's it's not clear how much Hero has like told her yeah, about the Elbob Rife stuff. She may not be totally aware of how uh, integrated Elbob Rife is into the Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Like, like, hey, watch out for Elbob Rife Pod, you know, yeah. or whatever. So she she's following like a a, a Rife Mercedes um, along to the to Fedland, which I love. Again, it's like the the same thing when she was first going to the mafia. Fucking Jason the Iron Pumper had to like be like, hey, poon on to me. I'll take you straight to Compton or whatever. Um, yeah, so she gets the impression that this Mercedes is sandbagging. So drives just driving slow enough that she'll poon onto something else. So she rides another car up to the gates of Fedland, you know, the United States border. Like how she says, the smaller this country gets, the more paranoid they become. She has to sign a 10 page document and they actually make her read it. They say it should take at least a half an hour for just to read the thing. But I read it two weeks ago. It might have changed, the guard says, so you have to read it again. So this certifies that YT is not a terrorist, communist, whatever that is, homosexual, 
national symbol desecrator, pornography merchant, welfare parasite, racially insensitive, carrier of any infectious disease or advocate of any ideology tending to impugn traditional family values. I like how they're like, we don't want you to be racially insensitive, but homophobic, totally cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Most of it is just definitions of all the words used on the first page. <laughs> so she's like sits in a room for half an hour, just like reading this fucking thing. Like she says, the cop guy is completely hard to deal with, but that's okay. So is YT. Yeah, yeah. He says, look, I, this is Epcot. This is like the headquarters, Epcot Central. You got that? Everything that happens in the miles being videotaped. People don't spit on the pavement within sight of this building. They don't even say bad words. Nobody's going to steal your skateboard. She says, that's even worse. They'll steal it and they'll say they didn't steal it and then they'll confiscate it. I know you feds. You're all confiscating shit because they want her to yeah. leave her uh, skateboard. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the guards are giving her shit like, uh, you know, fine, you can deliver to the fucking like ninth floor. Too bad you have to take the stairs. Uh, he's giving her shit about taking the skateboard. Um, I like how they ask her to sign her name and she writes white T on the screen. Yeah, she's like, eventually she, oh, he, like, knowing that she can't make it through the military without stripping naked, she just vaults over his table and goes inside. And what's like, he going to do? Shoot her? Shoot her? Hey, he said weakly. Oh, I like how, like, she must be carrying so much weird gear that she would literally have to strip naked to, like, get through a metal detector. Which, though, is kind of contradicted later in this episode. How do you mean? Well, like, we find out how much shit they pull out of her coverall. Oh, right. Like, right. there are very few things that are left, but, like, it's mm-hmm. not, like, full nudity um so she gets the elevator which actually is too slow so eventually she just takes the stairs i like that it's it took too long getting there yeah yeah it's like do they even work one wonders uh and then on the ninth floor it's like it's cop central uh every creepy guy in sunglasses slipper hair you ever seen they're all here all little flesh tone helices of wire like like trailing down from the ears there's even some female feds they look even scary in their guys the things that a woman can do to her hair to make herself look professional jesus why not just wear a motorcycle helmet at least you can take it off damn i i feel like hero started off as our prototypical mm-hmm. cyberpunk hero but like I think it's pretty fucking clear Stevenson has more fun of YT. I think he can have more fun with YT because yeah. YT is on one on one level very self-aware, but on the other hand, very unaware, you yeah. know? And so he yeah. can he can play with a lot of dramatic irony with her in a way that he can't with a hero. Um, yeah, she says seeing these feds well, without their mirror specs is like blundering into the boys' locker room. Well, it's almost like he had to have fun of hero by making himself reflective, which mm-hmm. is like, you know, the contrast. Um yeah, so she's, she, she finds the room and is surprised to see there's a little desk ever and crisp bright shirts and like no guns. Uh, one guy notices her as YT when she goes into the room that she's supposed to deliver to, even though he's not supposed to know her name. Yeah, she's she like, you're not supposed him. to know my name. How did you know my name? He's like, I recognize yeah. you. I know your mother. And she doesn't believe him. Yeah, so she's on edge. And she's like, do you have any relatives in Afghanistan? And they're like, what the fuck? But it alerts her voice recognition software and all her I love gear. This. Something is about to go down. I love this. She's such a fucking badass that she has this weird saying that, that she'll say, do you have any relatives in Afghanistan that mean nothing to them? But that's like a passphrase. It's like just like told her like onboard computer to get ready. Um, yeah. Also, so there's a-, a real quick. There's a mention that, that all the gun carrying feds are probably out in what used to be Alabama or Chicago trying to confiscate that back a uh, bits of united states territory that is now buy and flyer a toxic waste dump <laughs> america not doing too great no no uh she hands over the envelope and the four guys in this room uses an opportunity to really grab her this is basically the elevator scene from the winter soldier yeah anyone uh, wants to get out yeah one slaps a handcuff on her wrist the other tries to grab her by the wrist on the other hand like do a tug of war thing of her well he's she like says, i'm sorry to do this yt but i have to place you under arrest she says what the fuck are you doing 
Yeah. She says, you guys are dead. These guys all smirk like, this is, this is some chick of some spunk. We like that. And she says it again. And the phrase activates all her like self-defense shit. So she's got a manacle that comes out of her sleeve and starts electrocuting these dudes. She gets a stunner in one wrist. She has also as a can of liquid knuckles. Um, yeah, she like just like, these dudes up. like electrocute stuns like all these dudes. Um, I like how she there's one guy left and she just like like tosses the the loose manacle, you know, across his neck just to caress. And it yeah. just <laughs> that funky juice runs all up and down his spine. And suddenly he's sprawled across a couple shitty old wooden chairs. His pistols rotating on the floor like a, the spinner in a children's game. She flexes her wrist in a particular way, and the bunny stunner drops down her sleeve and into her hand. The manacle swing, swinging from the other hand will have a similar effect on that side. She also pulls out the can of liquid knuckles, pops the lid, and sets a sprayed nozzle to on a wide angle. And so it's like there's this description of her just like on her skateboard, like just shooting down the office, spraying in front of her with the liquid knuckles, and just like skateboarding over the bodies on her smart wheels as everybody just drops in front of her. It's described as coming out like bug spray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, she starts skating down the stairwell. Normally skateboards don't do so well, but her smart wheels treat like a 45 degree angle ramp. Uh, a guard is opening the door for her that like the second or first floor responds well, to alarms going up upstairs. Cause she yeah. just goes right down the stairs. Um, yeah. Yeah. Which like to a man stairs are a hindrance, but to smart wheels, it's like a 45 degree angle ramp. Yeah. So this guy like just happens to be opening the door for her. So she's like trying to go through. He grabs her. It should knock her down. But she's like, this is a very forgiving skateboard. It's smart enough to slow down for her a little bit when her center of mass gets into the wrong place. Uh, I like the metal detector. She has a line at one point where she says, serves them right. They didn't even try to arrest her in a gentlemanly way. I mean, this is some real bullshit. Like they've lured her here under false pretenses to kidnap her, basically. Like it's really fucked up and scary when you think about it. Oh, a 15 year old girl. But I mean, it's the same thing where she got lured under false pretenses to Uncle Enzo. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, it's just how you meet YT, apparently. Yeah. Uh, I guess Hero got lucky. Um, so she gets to the metal detector and does one of those moves where she jumps over the table while the skateboard yes. rolls under it, Sounds which you haven't seen yeah. since the since the eighties or nineties. Back to the future, yeah. Yeah. Heads for the lobby, heading for the revolving doors, which are just big planks of glass. There's some history of the Thrashers and their smart boards. They wanted to avoid the early skateboarding woes of just crashing in the glass, uh, which is why on an expensive skateboard like this one definitely is. You can, as an extra added safety feature, the Radix narrow cone tuned shockwave projector works on a real short nose, which is good, but you can only use it once. It draws its power from an explosive charge and you have to take your plank into the shop to have it replaced. She says, it's my God, like he stretched a tarp across a stadium to turn it into a giant tom-tom and crashed 747 into it. She can feel her internal organs move several inches. Her heart trades places with her liver. Uh, the bottoms of her feet feel numb and tingly. She's not even standing in the path of the shockwave. It just like this shockwave obliterates the glass in front of her pretty much. Yeah. Uh, she jumps off the white like government steps and like by the time she lands outside, she's got enough speed to get her to Mexico. She makes way for the customs building, but she looks up at the huge building she just left behind. It's full of windows that don't open and people staring out from her, but they've got guns. and They've got sunglasses on now with alarms going off. And there's one guy with like a super gun with a barrel the size of a baseball bat. And he takes is, aim at her. This is like the whole U.S. government is like trying to, to get her. It's like yeah. it's pretty terrifying when you think about Public it. Public you know? enemy YT. Yeah. Yeah, whatever he fires at her hits the ground in front of her and then raises up and explodes and detonates in an altitude of 20 feet. So she describes it as a stun bunny, which is it's, it's it creates some sort of like like um I don't know, detonation like shockwave basically, like no shrapnel or anything, just like the shockwave 
that like comes right at her. There's no blast or, or anything. So she can see the shockwave spreading outward in a perfect sphere, like kicking up dirt as it goes until uh, it, it's coming right at her. And it says above it, the shockwave hangs in the air, rushing toward her at the speed of sound, a lens of air that flattens and refracts everything on the other side. She's passing through it is how the chapter ends. I like which that. I, which I feel is ambiguous. Like, like, I guess when I first read this, I thought, oh, does she escape it? That seems odd. She will not. Yeah, well, I mean, she's passing right through it. I, I like the way that that's he doesn't just write like and then she knew no more or something like that. It yeah, just says yeah. like you can you can use your imagination as to what well, happens. Because I think we talked about Stevenson's kind of the master of like the last line of a, of a paragraph or a chapter. He, I mean, paragraph chapter. Yeah, he, he knows how to hit the hammer when he needs to. Mm-hmm. When Stevenson puts the hammer down, shit happens. Mm hmm. Uh, chapter 42 hero's been riding his motorcycle all night and it's approaching the town of port sherman oregon which so i guess he just outrode all the like the enforcers and like the the racists from new south africa well, to the point we don't even think about them anymore. no he yeah. just flat out of hell got out of there yeah but we're gonna spend a lot of time in port sherman oregon uh the first sentence as hero crest oh, passed, read this whole thing please this is an amazing yeah. sentence as hero crest the past uh, the pass on his motorcycle at five in the morning the town of port sherman oregon is suddenly laid out before him a flash of yellow low glow wrapped in a vast u-shaped valley that was ground out of a rock a long time ago by a big tongue of ice in an apocal period of geological cunnilingus what an amazing sentence i just it's geological like cunnilingus it's like he's just trying to keep himself up at night I, i've always heard that like one of the best pieces of writing advice is never write the last thing that's in your mind before you end for the day. Like always say, I, I know what the next sentence will be when I sit down at the keyboard. And I feel like he's just trying to amuse himself. Every, every time, time I read Neil Stevenson, I'm like, I suck as a writer. No, everyone. <laughs> it's just everyone. a master. Yeah. Oh, at the same time, though. Like my vocabulary sucks compared to this guy. Oh, oh shit. Save that for Diamond Age. We're yeah. going to be fucked during Diamond Age. But like, he, he's he's grown, he's changed, he's matured, dare I say. But like, mm-hmm. He's never been more energetic and flexible as he is on this book. Yeah. Um, so it feels good to be back on the coast again, we hear, after a night ride through the sticks. Too many rednecks, too many mounties. <laughs> Rides a little more, settles on a flat rock in an open space, ambush proof, and dials back into the metaverse to talk with the librarian. So our one our one time with the librarian in uh in uh this 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 episode. And so here I want to talk about Inanna, you know, figure from Sumerian mythology, later cultures newer as Ishtar, Esther. Good goddess or bad goddess? Good, a beloved goddess. Did she have any dealings with Enki or Asherah? Mostly with Enki. Um, she I want, I'm, she, I'm and, read this she and Enki thing. were on good and bad terms at different times. And Nana was known as the queen of all the great me. Does it kind of seem, as we learn a little bit about Enki and Asura here, that, um, or I'm sorry, Enki and uh, Inanna, that they smashed? Inanna seems like a Juanita. A and, little bit, yeah. And Hero's kind of an Enki. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I have a question about this at the end of the chapter, but yeah, um, yeah. So, so we get the kind of the uh, the Orpheus story, I think, with uh, with mm-hmm. Anana here, where she went to Ab- Abzu, the watery fortress in the city, where Eridu, where Inki sorted out the me and got Inki to give all the me. It's how the me was released into civilization, and he's like, "Watery fortress, huh?" <laughs> um, <laughs> how did how did Inki feel about this? Well, he gave her he gave them to her willingly, apparently because he was drunk and besought of Anana's physical charms. When he sobered up, he tried to chase her down and get them back. But she outsmarted him. And then just one of my favorite lines in this salt section here, it says, let's get semiotic. <laughs> Juanita went to Astoria, which is as close as you could get to the raft a couple days ago. I think she's trying to pull in Inanna. Um, mm-hmm. So Inanna's, and then the librarian starts telling a story about how in another uh, myth, Inanna descends into the netherworld. And there's like this, all this weird shit about her, like going underground and, uh, 
As Diane Wolkstein puts it, Inanna gave up all that she had accomplished in life until she was stripped naked with nothing remaining but her will to be reborn. Because of her journey to the underworld, she took on the powers and mysteries of death and rebirth. Well, because she's gone up against Eris Chagall, the goddess of death. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, Nana's messenger waits for three days, and when she fails to return from the netherworld, uh, this uh, guy goes to the gods asking for their help. None of the gods are willing to help except for Enki. So her buddy Enki, the hacker god, has to bail her ass out of hell, Hero says. So he's it's like very clearly that like Hero is the Enki, like, yeah. you know, uh, synonym. Uh, yeah, when he went to the wrath three days ago, he says, time to get hacking. Yeah. So, so well, she oh, this is him- another one more interesting line here. He says, Enki creates two people and sends them into the netherworld to rescue Inanna. Through their magic, in- Inanna is brought back to life. She returns from the netherworld, followed by a host of the dead. So if, if Enki is not hero themselves, are these two people that Enki is hero creating, and hero, hero and, and, YT. and YT? You know, yeah. like I really like the, you know, the semiotic nature of it and the uh, well, kind of the allegory. Well, it's like, did, did Juanita briefly mention Inanna the hero, knowing full well that the librarian would tell him the story? Mm-hmm. That he'd figure he'd it out. Yeah. yeah, he'd eventually figure it out. Uh, but I gotta say, like, this book was very seminal in my early 20s to solidifying my atheism. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think you that, could, yeah. I could think you could argue that I was agnostic up at that point, but like I had been reading previously about how the Romans were very good about coming in and basically just like not so much forcing new stuff on the on the people they invaded but like just like basically like let's put our stuff over your stuff so if you have a holiday here mm-hmm. now it's this holiday because basically your god doesn't matter whatever we're just trying to control you through religion and then just hearing about how this shit feeds into like the three days later after well, like she's dead i think a lot of we- this like it gave me an appreciation for various religious myths but yeah. not in like a um you believe in like them? a like a a faith-based way or anything it's like okay I see why these exist and I don't necessarily think they're evil per se. You know, I'm not like, like a militant atheist. who's like, damn all, you know, belief systems. But I, it's like, you kind of see the different versions repeated in different cultures over and over, you know? Well, but it's, it's, you know, like what if your book club took over the world for a millennia and like (laughs) like, ruined how people think? That's how Mm -hmm. I started to realize it. Yeah. Um, yeah, so we start to get into uh, the stuff. A reminder of Chuck Wrightson and the uh, the the hunk of raft that was staked out by the. What was it the Republic of Kenai and Kodiak, Kodiak and something? Yeah, yeah. something in Kodiak. Mm-hmm. Um, and all the, the the you know he say he's like looking at the raft and like there's these big ass Soviet freighters and like a swarm of small boats. Uh, the like most of the raft is dead brown and organic, but this section of this like fiberglass pleasure craft looted from comfortable retirees of T Rock thousands of them yeah it's all white fiberglass like all these like nice yachts and boats which were stolen from the t-rock people the the republic of kodiak and Kenai or whatever it is um so i'm this it's it's such a brief thing but like i'm really fascinated by this republic like what this was was this like a bunch of rich people who wanted to get the fuck out of america and go start Mm -hmm. their own thing up in like saskatchewan or whatever you know would like, shock me. Yeah, I get that impression. It was, it was like about a hundred thousand people, just like older people with nice possessions who were just like, we're just going to go start our own country somewhere else. And so, but they had no way of defending themselves. So somebody starts up in a nuke and is like, this is mine now. And they're like, oh, fuck. Well, my question is, what does T Rock look like now? Are there still ortho or are still refuse there? Or, or I mean, presumably orthos? it's it's all the orthos and 
you know, anyone, like anyone who stay... stuck around, it's like, well, you're, it's their way or the highway now, you know, you have well, no it protection. It seems like the, the orthos looted quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. Brought it to the raft. So mm-hmm. I, that's why I wonder what's left. Yeah. If anything. Yeah. So now the raft is off Port Sherman. So hero figures, that's where the high priests of Asher are hanging out. In a few days, they'll be in Eureka, then San Francisco, then LA, a floating land link tying the orthos operations of the raft to the closest available point on the mainland. So he looks away from the ocean to Port Sherman, like doing some reconnaissance, sees some cheap motels and looks for some Russian names. <laughs> it's easy. There's a hotel called the Spectrum 2000 right in the middle of the waterfront. Yeah, he's doing a lot of hacking and you can see that there's a whole bunch of rooms that have been rented out to people with names that end in off or offski or other dead Slavic giveaways. And the, the foot soldiers are sleeping in the lobby laid out straight and narrow in coin lockers next to their AK-47s. And the priests and generals live in nice rooms higher up. Here pauses to wonder what a Pentecostal Russian Orthodox priest does with a magic fingers. Uh, the suite at the very top is being written, rented out by a gentleman by the name of Gurov, Mr. KGB himself. Uh, so this was a guy who like helped arrange to get Raven on the nuclear sub, I believe. Yeah, um, yeah. But yeah, this guy's too much of a wimp to hang out on the actual raft. Apparently, they're just. It seems like they're following the raft south on the coastline, mm-hmm. and they're he- they're holed up in Port Sherman right now. But he knows that they'll need to get back to the raft. So he assumes they'll need a decent sized boat to get them there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's quite a few marinas in Port Sherman. Most are overflowing with little brown boats. So the refuse are coming ashore. And if they're smart, Hero says, they know that they can walk into California from here. So he does a scan to see if there's any CIC stingers or stringers in town. He knows that there, that there has been since the CIC wants to sell people a subscription to Raft News, which you heard about previously. Uh, one, of them is, one of them is a guy who just goes around filming whatever he sees, shoots a lot of video from his hotel room. But there's a private marine that doesn't have the mass of little brown boats. And they can see uh, that there's there's some sort of organization and like self-appointed water cops and speedboats out in the harbor because they've kept the pathway to this one like, you know, lane clear. Like the terminus of this clear lane is a nice pier with the big boats. There's two big vessels. One is a large fishing boat flying a fat flag bearing the emblem of the orthos, which is just a cross and a flame. It's obviously like T-Rock loot. And uh, the name on the stern is Kodiak Queen. The orthos haven't even bothered to change it. The other is a large boat, or the other large part is a small cruise vessel made to carry rich people comfortably to nice places as a green flag and appears to be connected to Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong. Booyah. So that's going to that's really set up the end of this episode. Yeah. yeah. So Hero does a little more poking around and he learns that there's a pretty good size Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong franchise here. So chapter uh, 43. Yeah. Um, the chapter reminded me a lot of the. The bits of Mr. Robot where we actually get into the programming that White Lotus is doing to people like Angela. Right, yeah. Um, but there are situations here that are even more haunting because they're through the filter of YT. It's funny that you mentioned Bad Robot, or not Bad Robot, no, Mr. Robot. I was totally thinking about that when she talks about going to these like weird houses yeah, that yeah. they've taken over. Yeah, yeah. yeah that that I, I'm sure Sam Espel has read this book. Oh, fuck yeah. yeah. But uh, this might be my favorite chapter so far it's really? just okay fucking fascinating and it's it's so well written and like you know what's going on but when the character doesn't find out to the very last sentence and you're like oh shit uh, it starts like this when she first woke up she was still in her radix coverall mummified in gaffer's tape lying on the floor of a shitty old ford van blasting across the middle of nowhere this did not put her in a very favorable mood the stunned bunny left her with a persistent nosebleed an eternal throbbing headache and even time and every time the van hit a chuck hole, her head bounced on the corrugated steel floor. Yeah, first she was just pissed. Then she started having brief moments of fear, wanting to go home. Uh, and then a later, as far as she could tell uh, from this admittedly poor vantage, this did not didn't look like a Fed operation. 
Uh, so we're going to find out she, she's with the Fall of Balas. Like they open the doors and she can see the Gothic Arch logo for Reverend Wayne's pearly gates. And so it's like the feds are openly working with El Babarife and Reverend oh, Wayne and the Fall of Balas. Of course they are. Yeah. Of fucking course they are. So if the van, like it's like driving for eight hours. She has so much time, just like losing time, which is how you start to brainwash people. Mm-hmm. You, you remove them from their sense of time. The van pulls off the highway onto a, a frontage row where she pulls up the Reverend Wayne. Doors open. Two women come in. Oh, you poor baby, one of them says. Yeah, they, they start course, love bombing her. Yeah. The word is the wording is perfect. They have her sipping sweet Kool-Aid from a Dixie cup. I mean, if they really wanted to do it, it would be um, well, the flavor aid. If they yeah, really wanted yeah. to go there all the way. Yeah. yeah, they took her shoes. They haven't given her new ones. She discovers that they removed all the good stuff from her coverall, but not the coverall itself. So she still has Enzo's dog tags between her breasts, and she still has the dentata between her legs. She says she's always known that dog tags are probably a fake thing anyway. Uncle Enzo doesn't just go around giving his war souvenirs to 15-year-old chicks, but they still might have an effect on someone. Uh, yeah, two on, women are named Marlon and Bonnie. On the dentata, she mentions there's no way they could have found that. Yeah. Well, which I took to mean... She'd know. She she'd know, or it would stop them. I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We'll find out what the dentata is later. Yeah, but so there's Marlon Bonnie here. They're just like they're with her all the time. They're all touching her, lots of hugs, squeezes, hand holding, and tousled hair. First time she goes to the bathroom, Bonnie goes with her, opening stall door, and actually standing in there with White White T. Uh, White T thinks that she's worried that she's going to pass out on the toilet or something. But the next time she has to pee, Marla goes with her. She gets no privacy at all. Uh, so. I had to remind you a little bit of like her mom in Fedland when she's going to get like mm-hmm. drug yeah, tested. Yeah, totally. Like w- them watching her pee for the test. Yeah. Um, uh, the only problem is she can't deny that she likes it in a way. She says, the ride in the van hurt. It really hurt bad. She never felt so lonely in her life. And now she's barefoot and defenseless in an unfamiliar place and they're giving her what she needs. Yeah, it's, it's so insidious. And then uh, it gets worse. Yeah, so the, they uh, they go to freshen up at the Reverend Wayne's uh, Pearly Gates and there's a big stretch van they climb into with no windows. Uh, the van is jammed when they open the rear doors. 20 people are packed into it, all energetic beaming use. It looked impossible. Whitey shrank away from it, backing right into Marlon Bonnie. But a cheerful roar came up from the van people, white teeth flashing in the dimness, and people began to scrunch out a tiny space for them. Uh, so she spent most of the next two days packed into the van between Bonnie and Marla, holding hands with them constantly so she couldn't even pick her nose without permission. They sing happy songs until her brain turned to tapioca. They played wacky games. A couple of times every hour, someone in the van would start to babble, just like the Fall of Ballas. Yeah, so crazy youth group energy. Yeah, it's like the worst youth group ever. Constantly singing songs. They're, they're, they're touching her constantly. She like literally has no personal like autonomy of her own. And well, here's the sad part. Everyone except for YT... Like she couldn't seem to get the hang of it. It just seemed embarrassing and stupid to her. So she just faked it. The the um the speaking in tongues, basically. Yeah. yeah the babbling. Yeah. So three times a day they would Which, eat and evacuate. That makes me wonder, are they being fooled by this? Like, do they think they've maybe brainwashed her more than they have at this point? It, it seems quite possibly. Because she's it's like she's faking it, so maybe maybe they're well, missing something. Because she'll talk about how like she would have thought they would have more security on her mm-hmm. when they get to the raft, but she's caused them no problems. Yeah, yeah. And also if they are true Falabalas, how good are they at like judging character? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so three times a day, they would eat or evacuate, always pulling to some house in the burp claves, pulling into a garage, waiting for the door to shut behind them. Then they go in the suburban house devoid of furniture and other family items. They sit in empty bedrooms, one for boys, one for girls and eat cake and cookies. We hear 
there was always different decor. In one place, flowery countryish wallpaper and lingering smell of rancid glade. In another, bluish wallpaper featuring hockey players, football players, basketball players. In another, just plain white walls, old crown marks on them. Sitting in those empty rooms, White T would study the old furniture scrapes on the floors, the dents in the sheetrock, and muse over them like an archaeologist, wondering about the long departed families who'd once lived there. But towards the end of the ride, she wasn't paying attention anymore. Yeah, see, she's like slowly slipping away. Yeah, that, that's very much Mr. Robot, like the, the pulling yeah. into these weird houses in the suburbs. When they stopped for gas, they did a giant truck stops out in the middle of nowhere, pulling up to the most distant pump islands that no one was near them. I mean, she's being trafficked. Like, yeah. it's, it's pretty awful. Yeah. Uh, finally, Haunting they got singing, to the coast. Chanting, always yeah. on the road, yeah. Yeah. She could smell the coast before she gets there. Um, and she eventually realizes that they've, they've parked, but then, like, they seem to start moving again. Like, she's on a ferry. She's being taken uh, on a ship and headed out to sea. It's a real ocean-going ship, an old, shitty, rusty one that probably costs about five bucks at the ship junkyard, but it carries cars, and it goes through water, and it doesn't sink. Yeah, they eat the same stuff. They sing the same songs, sleep just as rarely as ever. Like, they're keeping her up constantly, not letting her sleep much. By yeah. now, YT finds it perversely comforting. She knows that she's with a lot of other people like her and that she's safe. She knows the routine. She knows where she belongs. And so finally, they come to the raft. No one has told YT this is where they're going. But by now it's obvious she ought to be scared, but they wouldn't be going to the raft if it was as bad as everyone says. I find this this next section really interesting where she says uh, she half expects them to converge on her with gaffer's tape again. But then she figures out that's not necessary. She hasn't been causing trouble. She's been accepted here. They can trust her and because her feeling of pride in a way. And she won't cause trouble pride, yeah. on the raft uh, because all she can do is escape from their part of it and onto the raft per se, like the, as such, the real raft, the raft of 100 Hong Kong B-movies and blood-soaked Nipponese comic books. It doesn't take much imagination to think of what happens to a lone 15-year-old blonde American girls on the raft, and these people know it. So it's like they don't even need to restrain her because it's like, what are you going to do? Like, you're yeah. sort of protected with us, but if you leave, like, you're you're in the shit, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, but also, the raft has been around long enough that there's these, like, tales about the cultural other mm-hmm. who were bloodthirsty savages or or whatever the hell. like the, you the will fucking, immediately get raped if you're the, the like fucking, a lone 50 year old girl yeah, on this boat the, yeah the trump caravan yeah mm-hmm. also have we actually heard before that she's blonde this might be I, the first time i think it is yeah but yeah but this is why i always just think like young sarah michelle keller for this role oh i could totally see it yeah, yeah. Um, or, or, i mean really it's it's a it's a like Kristen bell veronica mars it's that it's that archetype you know yeah yeah the best part about her her being blonde though is that they ever do adapt snow crash and if they do happen to cast her of a person of color <laughs> we can hear hundreds of thousands of assholes on the internet talking about woke casting god, I'm, I'm exhausted just hearing you bring up that potential possibility my god between game of thrones the house of the dragon and rings of power right now yeah yeah um by the way have you have you watched either of those shows uh i am i have not seen episode three of house of the dragon let me say this about house of the dragon mm-hmm. after every episode I have plenty of complaints. Like, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Why did they do that? But I still find myself genuinely looking forward to the next episode. No, I'm, I'm just like, uh, GOT's back, you know? Is it is it the best that GOT's ever been? No, but it's fine, you know? I mean... It's fine. There's it could plenty- use... It, it's missing the Tyrion is what it's missing. Well, I, I think also there's a little, lot of little things. Like, there's a lot of complaints that are reasonable about Benioff and Wise, and it's become mm-hmm. in vogue to complain about them. I think they were really good at casting. And I think at times you can you can see where it's not. I don't mean like skin color. Mm-hmm. I mean like there's certain actors that I'm like you could have done better here. Like you could have brought a real actor. That in. and I think there is there's like a little more spice and humor in being often Weiss's writing. Now some of that's obviously Tyrion, but like I feel like 
in general, it there is more dynamicism, I guess, to when, like the characters. No shade at all to whatever Emma Darcy's going to do, but like I would sign the petition and then something to keep Millie Alcock. It's weird that they're recasting. I'm like, she's, she's clearly great. playing old enough. Like, do you need to make her an older? Like, yeah. I like she's that's great. it's gonna suck for Emma Darcy to have to come in and replace her. Well, I had a friend who was like, Oh, I'm gonna go buy Fire and Blood, and I was like, Don't. I read yeah. about it and I hate it because now I know how the first season's basically gonna go. See, I don't know. I'm like blissfully unaware. I'm like avoiding that's, spoilers for once. That's good. Mm-hmm. Keep that. But like I there's a there's a a secret, a top secret given at the end of the first episode. And I'm like, I wouldn't have made that your big hook to I the end of the first episode liked it in a way because i'm like we know how that works out and it's not going to play out but, in the next few years yeah i guess i liked it i'm like could this show actually like retroactively make the ending of got feel a little more like i don't know fatalistic or kind of like a tragedy or whatnot i don't know quite possibly i mean it might get smart about how you do prequel i just don't know totally if i see eight seasons of the show yeah, yeah. I like I said, I, 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 like, then they I can have the John episode, Snow show, which they're going to do. When I watch this show, I, like I said, I always have like seven or eight, like, what the fuck did you do this questions? And then I'm like, man, I can't wait for the next one. I really can't. I know. And like, like, whenever Damon is not on screen, I'm like, where's Damon? Well, because Matt Smith is playing the ultimate himbo. Yeah. All anyway. right. Anyways, after dad left, she just folded up into herself like an origami bird thrown into the fire. That's Whitey talking about her mom. She yeah. thinks that maybe this will be good for her. So I think that's the first time we've had her Whitey's dad mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just some deadbeat who left. A lot, of, a lot of boats in the outer shell of the raft. Some are white and brand new. Some have Russian writing on them. Doesn't look like a good place to go skating. She says. She wonders if any of the other people on the board, are the ferrier skaters, doesn't seem likely. Really, they're not her kind of people at all. She has always been a, a dirty scum dog of the highways. Not one of these happy sing along types. Maybe the raft is just the place for her. And that's when you're like, oh no. <laughs> YT, oh no. Well, and she mentions that they finally zeroed in on the on a white neighborhood on one flank of the raft, literally white. All the boats here are clean and new. So this is the T Rock boats yeah. that they're yeah. taking to. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they take her down to one of the Russian ships, give her the grossest job of all time, cutting up fish. Uh, she's just run into a massive cultural shockwave because most of the people on the ship are old and fat and Russian and don't speak English. Uh, some of the fish that comes through this place looks pretty rank. But there's a fair amount of salmon. The only way she knows this is from having sushi at the mall. Salmon is orange red stuff. So she makes herself some sushi of her own, munches down on some fresh salmon meat, and it's good. It clears her head a little. I feel like this is very key. She's not eating the food she's supposed to. She's yeah. just eating some like fresh salmon. And yeah. it's like it's it's helping. It's it's clearing the fog in her brain. Well, and and just this is when I really hit upon He's been doing it the whole time, but I guess I just we just never zeroed on it. Like the full on stream of consciousness mm-hmm. writing of YT, because she's like she's upset because they gave her a job. She didn't ask for a job. There's no one for her to talk to, even to ask what the hell's going on here. And then we get the cultural shockwave. But um, she's she's away from all the happy sing-alongs now. She's yeah. just like working on like the the fish market now. And, and but the, but the she's fucking- like She's maybe a little less supervised now, you know, well, the, it's, it's as though they, they don't think they need to like maintain the brainwashing. Except the, the fucking babushkas don't like the job YT's doing. They keep yeah. looking at her like, what, what, what a dork this chick is. They try to show her how to do it. She still does it wrong and her hands are cold and stiff. So a few days later, she gets a new job working the cafeteria line on one of the big Russian ships, like slopping out fish too. I like how they, des- they she describes it as they turn her into a cafeteria dame. 
Yeah. Oh, there's there's one paragraph I want to read here because I, I thought it was like a, a nice little like kind of whitey's rumination on, on living, you know, as a 15 year old. She says, once she gets over the shock of it and settles into routine, she starts looking around her, watching the other fish cutting dames and realizes that this is just like life. Uh, this is just like what life must be like uh, for about 95 or 99% of the people in the world. They're in this place. There's other people all around you, but they don't understand you and you don't understand them. But people do a lot of pointless babbling anyway. In order to stay alive, you have to spend all day, every day doing some stupid, meaningless work. And the only way to get out of it is to quit, cut loose, take a flyer and go off into the wicked world where you'll be swallowed up and never heard from again. Yeah. Well, again, this is why it's my favorite chapter so far. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it really hits home to me from what my memory of the Diamond Age is, because the thing that fucking blew my mind. And again, these are these are thoughts. I read that like mm-hmm. 15 plus years ago was I've never really felt in a book the actual growth of an right. adolescent to mm-hmm. something older. And by the end of that book, like you really feel what's her name's, you know, she's 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 changed. She's grown up. Um, so she spends her time on the fish stew slop line, uh, shoving across the counter at an unending line of religious fanatics, religious fanatics, and more religious fanatics. Except this time around, there seem to be a lot of Asians and hardly any Americans at all. And then there's a new group here. People with antennas coming out of their heads. Oh, man, this is so creepy. Yeah, the antennas look yeah. like the ones on cop walkie-talkies. Short, blunt, black rubber whips. They rise up from behind the ears. Uh, so she's she's tried like, to talk to one of these guys. She says he's a strange guy, stranger than all the others, with a permanent thousand-yard stare and a bad case of the mumbles. He ends up giving her the creep so bad that she just shoves an extra large dose of stew or, uh, in his face and hurries him down, down the line. So... These guys are just the new weirdness that we have to yeah. deal with. So, so I want to take us right to the special, incredible last line. Mm-hmm. From time to time, she runs into someone from the van, but they're glassy eyed. They don't recognize her like they've been brainwashed. Like she's been brainwashed too. The last line, she can't believe it's taken her this long to figure out what they've been doing to her. And that just makes her more pissed. Yeah. Just like the, like white tea was brainwashed. It's like, oh, I was brainwashed. That's how I got here. You know? Yeah. Yeah. She's never been more pissed. Yeah. Fuck yeah. It's my favorite chapter. Um and it's like, I don't know, like there's there's just like um there's like a, a danger inherent in this book that like, oh shit, what happened to YT? She just got like trafficked and brainwashed, you know, like this isn't like you know, it's like this isn't like a totally safe, you know, perfunctory story where you know what's gonna happen. Like if this could happen to YT, what's gonna happen to Hero? Well, and I think there's an interesting thing for a book written in the 90s where you have, you know, presumably like a straight white male author where mm-hmm. he's not pretending to capture the young female experience. The arch tone keeps enough removed. He's very much he, creating his own character. He's, it's, he's not like, I hope people read this and think that like a 15 year old blonde chick wrote this or like right. a mixed race dude, you know. But But he's also not like, like shying away from the dangers that she might face. Mm-hmm. It's, it's they're very much there, but like the beauty is that sometimes she doesn't totally recognize them. Mm-hmm. Um, but but there's the dramatic irony there where we the reader are aware of it even when White yeah. doesn't. Yeah, yeah, we're we're right there over her shoulder, getting mm-hmm. worried about her. Yeah. Um, chapter forty four. Uh, in reality, Port Sherman is a surprisingly tiny little burg, really just a few square blocks. So the raft came along and a full time population of a couple thousand people. Now the population must be pushing. Around. 50,000. That's a lot. has to slow down a little bit 
because the refuse are all sleeping in the streets at the time being an impediment to traffic. Well, and an interesting thing here, because he says, that's okay, it saves his life, because shortly after he gets into Port Sherman, the wheels on his motorcycle lock up, the spokes become rigid, and the ride gets very bumpy. A couple seconds after that, the entire bike goes dead, becomes an inert chunk of metal. Not even the engine works. He looks down into the flat screen on top of the fuel tank, pointing his status report, but it's just showing snow. The BIOS has crashed. Ashira's possessed his bike. So he bands it in the middle of the street and starts walking towards waterfront. I, I'm wondering while reading this, like, is this just a coincidence or has like his bike been hacked in some way? You know, how though? I don't know. Wirelessly. I mean, well, I mean, I, it, it can access the metaverse. So obviously yeah. it's, it's vulnerable, but like, my question is, are they just like blanket taking over everything like this? Like know. every piece of machinery? I mean, it, it's as though his bike is snow crashed. And is it, yeah, yeah. Is, it, is it everything or is he being targeted? You know? Well, and we've been thinking about how humans are being hacked like they're machines. But yeah, so of course machines would be hacked as well. Well, it's, you know, one thing we didn't discuss with the YT part. Okay, so the feds set her, feds and Elbob Rife like set her up, set up a fake delivery and kidnap right. her and then traffic right. her and ship her off to the raft. So all that based on like they realize that the mom has like had this encounter with YT that the mom might believe YT who knows where the mom is right now, but they're just like, well, our solution is to like kidnap and send your daughter to the raft. Is that like, is is that going to be like, she's being held hostage to get the mom to do what they want, you know? Was yeah. oh, the mom that important? I think the yeah. whole point of the Fedland model is to say that you are not that important. You're just but, a cause. But if the machine. mom knows if she's seen through the the Possibly. facade, you know, then maybe she is important. Uh, it, it must be, and or do they know that she's a confederate of Hero? Hmm. Yeah, because well, that's why I'm wondering uh, if Hero was targeted here when his bike crashes. Oh yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, but but being not a hacker, she's definitely not the usual type. But she can still be brainwashed. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. So he gets off the bike, gets moving. The refuse in the street wake up and converge on the bike, wanting to be the first to claim it. Uh, he can feel something in his chest. He remembers the first time he encountered Raven's motorcycle, how he felt it before seeing it. But this isn't that. It's coming from above. A chopper, the kind that flies. There's this delightful wordplay that we yeah, refer yeah. to both helicopters and motorcycles as choppers. Get to the chopper. Um, it is brilliant and dazzling in the cool blue light of early morning because it is shedding a trail of stars, blue-white magnesium flares tumbling out of it every few seconds, landing in the water below, where they continue to burn, leaving an astral pathway marked out, out down the lane, the length of the harbor. Uh, they aren't there to look cool. They're there to confuse heat-seeking missiles. So this chopper is coming in like full combat situation, like blasting flares out. Yeah, he deduces that Gurov must be on top of the hotel and is waiting to be evacuated to the raft. Because we're going to find out that like Port Sherman's a fucking war zone in a second. Yeah, yeah he's uh, his question, why is he being evacuated? Or he, he figures that the, the um, Gurov is being evacuated. He's his question, yeah. why is he being evacuated? And why are they worried about heat-seeking missiles? Hero realizes belatedly that some heavy shit is going on. Yeah. Uh, if he still had the bike, he would ride it up the fire stairs and find out what's happening. But he doesn't have the bike. Uh, he watches as a missile takes out the helicopter and then realizes that he's not the only guy in town who hates Gurov. I, I just, the way he describes it, it's like this like white fireball springs forward. It keeps getting faster and faster, tearing down the center of the harbor until it passes all the way through the little chopper, in through the windshield and out the back. The chopper turns into a cloud of flame. Like It's just like, oh, there goes the chopper. Yeah. Um, so he's like... Uh, Grove and his guys will come out of the hotel and down the streets to some of the piers on the waterfront. There's the Kodiak Queen and the boat they stole. And nearby is the Kowloon, which belongs to Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong. So Hero runs down the street and gets to the Mr. Lee's Franchelet. 
There's a guard that doesn't want to let him in, which is different than usual because typically they let everyone in, always eager to add new citizens. <laughs> but then the guard sees his passport and lets him in. Inside, it's nice. because He assumes it's the local headquarters because it's so nice. A bunch of refugees are watching him through the windows, but held at bay by the sight of three rat things are just waiting to pounce. He says it pays to beef up your security when the raft is coming to town. So here recognizes that the the guy you know that let him in is actually the proconsul in Port Sherman. He recognizes him from the photo. Uh, he's deeply involved in this little chat, but he, he's on like the phone. But he definitely notices Hero's swords and is watching him carefully. Uh, he, there's a there's a whole exchange coming up that I almost feel like we need to read like like all of it because it's so good. Yeah. So the guy's saying, "Let me know when we get to you." But he's saying like we're very busy. And here is like, now you are a lot busier. I'd like to charter your boat, the Kowloon. He says, it's very expensive. And he says, I just threw away a brand new top of the line motorcycle in the middle of the street because I didn't feel like pushing half a block to the garage. I'm on an expense account that would blow your mind. Whose expense account? Like Juanita's? That's a good question because we haven't really heard. He, he definitely suddenly had shit tons of money to go buy this bike and like all this yeah. like armor gel shit, you know. Which I, I just kind of thought he just like hacked his way into like having money. I don't know. I, I, I'm guessing it's maybe Juanita or David. It's interesting. Ooh, yeah, maybe. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is David's situation? If he ha- if he has a will, does it get triggered? Does he lose? Yeah, well? I mean, he's like incapacitated, but he's not dead. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Oh God, what's the what's the, the advanced directive? I don't know. Mm-hmm. So the man keeps giving hero excuses for why he can't use it. Hero's like telling him to cancel any other engagements. He'll give him more money. Um, I like how he says, "I appreciate your politeness and not wanting to come out and just say no." Yeah, uh, he'll go outside or or he'll go outside and tell the refuse that the Kowloon is heading for L.A. in one hour, that it has room for take 20 of them. First come, first serve. So the man's like, OK, where do you want to go? He says to the raft. And the proconsul's like, why didn't you just say that? That's where our other passengers going as well. So he scans Hero's passport and gives him a laminated card. And then there's this, this bit here where uh, you get onto the pier of this, he says. It's a good for six hours. You make your own deal with the other passenger. After that, I never want to see you again. Well, what if I need more of your consular services? I can always go out and tell people the man says the the N word here of swords is out raping Chinese refugees. Refugees, hmm, that isn't exactly the best service I've ever had from Mister Lee's Greater Hong Kong. That's this is not a normal situation. The man says, "Look out the window, asshole." Yeah, so here is basically like, what if I told them this? Basically, like to fuck you over, and yeah. the guy's like, "Well, what if I told them this?" You know? Yeah. So yeah, it's not the greatest uh, customer just, service. The pro counselor being like, look out the window, asshole. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so here I makes the way to the pier, taking in the war zone around him. The refuse have taken over the lobby of the hotel to set their defenses. There's so, a description of um, there's like a bunch of Chinese refugees in baggy clothes. Some of them look a lot more alert than others. Like they have a whole different affect. Most of the Chinese have their eyes on the mud in front of their feet, and their minds on something else. But some of them are just strolling up and down the street, looking all around alertly. And most of them happen to be young men wearing bulky jackets and haircuts that are all from the whole other stylistic universe and what the others are sporting. There is mm-hmm. evidence of styling gel. Yeah. Uh, he gets onto the, the the pier and finds that it's like bobbing up and down the water in a fine, way that he finds relaxing, which is this weird little, I don't know, outlier and this like chaos happening mm-hmm. around him. But usually folks moor their boat tied up and then leave. But every boat in this marina has someone on the board hanging out, just showing off that they have guns. Some Russians like run down the pier and get on the Kodiak Queen. They look like sailor types on board the Kowloon. Well, it just seems like like so much shit is like in the midst of going down around him. People like running down the pier yeah. with guns, like escorting someone on. Well, he's like just realized that he's like sauntered into the beginning of like Saving Private Ryan. Yeah. yeah. Uh, on board the Kowloon, it's mostly waiter and like serving staff. 
he can see only one man on the Callum who appears to be a passenger, a tall, slender Caucasian in a dark suit, strolling around chatting into the portable telephone. Probably some industry jerk who wants to go on a day cruise, look at the refuse on the raft while he's sitting in a dining room and having a gourmet dinner. Yes. He's 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 uh he's a little bit wrong there. Well, it says here is about halfway down the pier when all hell breaks loose on shore in yeah. front of the hotel. Like there's a bunch of machine gun bursts that don't appear to do, do, do much damage, but clear the street pretty fast. Ninety nine percent of the refuse just evaporate, which is an interesting trigger of phrase. Are they disappearing, or some of them turning into blood mist? I think when he says it doesn't appear to do much damage, they just fucking scram. Is, I, I think, I think is so. Yeah. But it's interesting. Just the word evaporate mm-hmm. could have a lot of meanings. Uh, Hero picks up the pace, wanting to get onto the boat and put some distance between him. Those, and the those uh, strange young Chinese men suddenly all have like high tech weapons out. Yeah. Doesn't want to get by the straight fire. So he gets on the Kowloon Queen or the Kowloon uh, and is surprised by a Chinese waitress. She asks if he's Hero and he thinks that they might let him charter the boat after all. So she lets him up the aluminum plank and then. There's a good couple of paragraphs at the end here. Do you want to do them? Um, sure, yeah. So she ushers him onto the gangplank. As he's walking across it, he looks up to one of the higher decks where a couple of crew members are hanging out and they're dark windbreakers. One of them is leaning against a railing and watching the firefight through binoculars. Another one, an older one, approaches him, leans over to examine his back and slaps him a couple times between the shoulder blades. The guy drops his binoculars to see who's pounding him on the back. His eyes are not Chinese. The older guy says something to him and gestures at his throat. He's not Chinese either. The binocular guy nods, reaches up with one hand, and presses the lapel switch. The next time he turns around, a word is written across his back in neon green electropigment. Mafia. <laughs> the older guy turns away. His windbreaker says the same thing. Hero turns around in the middle of the gangplank. There are 20 crew members in, in plain sight all around him. Suddenly, their black windbreakers all say mafia. Suddenly, they're all armed. So, oh shit, it's a mafia operation he's just walked into. Well, and just the way he he doles things out very casually, like I, I feel like other writers would write it differently, but he's just like, well, this guy's not Chinese. Yeah, that guy's, guy's not, not Chinese. Chinese either. Yeah. Well, so I mean, obviously the orthos are here, um, yeah. and then Mister Lee's Greater Hong Kong. I think we can assume like all like the younger Chinese guys who all seem to like have like high tech weaponry. Those are probably Mister Lee's dudes. Probably, yeah, probably. And and then the mafia's here. Yeah. Well, you would think they would just send out the rat things, right? Are they only really geared for defense? Although Mr. Ng uses them. I mean, yeah, Mr. Ng uses them. Yeah. Uh, I mean, maybe they just don't need to. Like, we kind of see what goes down here. So, chapter 45 starts off with Well, I was planning to get in touch with Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong and file a complaint about the proconsul in, in Port Sherman Hero jokes. He was very uncooperative this morning. And when I insisted on renting this boat from out from under you, Hero is sitting on a first class dining room in a Kowloon. On the other side of the white linen tablecloth is the man Hero had previously pegged as the industry creep on vacation. He's impeccably dressed in a black suit and he has a glass eye. He has not bothered to introduce himself as though he's expecting Hero to know who he is already. So this is Whitey's handler from the mafia. I love this. Uh, the man does not seem amused by Hero's story. He seems rather nonplussed. So, and Hero says, don't see any reason to file a complaint now. And the guy's like, why not? He's like, well, because now I understand his reluctance not to displace you guys. How come? You got money, don't you? Yeah, but, oh, the man in the glass, I says, and allows himself a sort of forced smile. Because we're the mafia, you're saying. Yeah, Hero says, feeling his face get hot. Nothing like making a total dickhead out of yourself. <laughs> Nothing in the world like it. No siri, Bob. I just read this guy as, like, dry as fuck. Yeah. Honestly, like, he like, makes Hero basically come out and say it, you know? <laughs> Even honestly, though it's obvious I, that this guy knows why Hero's not going to fuck with the mafia. <laughs> I read him as uh, as Ed Harris. A little bit. Ooh, that's funny. I, I just pictured a different Ed, Ed Norton. I can see that. A little like, bit. like a younger, you know. I can see that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Um, I, I just I feel like this guy's been through the shit, so he's been around for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, at some point we're gonna do Maverick on Head Cannon. Okay, I want to do an hour on the Ed Harris character alone. <laughs> that character is fucking fascinating. Yeah. Um, so from the book we get outside the, the gun battles a dim roar the dining room is just insulated from noise water wind and hot flying lead by a double layer of remarkably thick glass and the space between the panes is full of something cool and gelatinous the war does not seem to be as steady as it used to be fucking so, machine guns the man says I hate them maybe one out of a thousand rounds actually hit something worth hitting and they kill my ears you want some coffee or something that'd be great he says we got a big buffet coming out bacon eggs fresh fruit you wouldn't believe so they just yeah. like gonna go have this this nice little breakfast which is a total mafia thing you know uh so one of the guys dips into the room is just like excuse me boss we're moving to like the third phase of our plan just thought you'd want to know thank you livio let me know when the ivans make it to the pier guy sips his coffee knows he's here looking confused see we got a plan and the plan's divided into three different into different phases yeah i got that i I like how he calls the i'm assuming these are the orthos you know the russians just calls the ivans yeah yeah go ahead the first phase was immobilization, taking out their chopper. Then we had phase two, which was making them think they were trying to kill them in the hotel. I think this phase succeeded wonderfully. <laughs> Me the too, other, Hero says. The other part with the plan was getting Hero here. Hero's son to find out he's part of the plan. But Glass Eye's like, well, if you were not part of the plan, you would be dead. So you knew I was coming to Port Sherman? You know that chick YT, the one you've been using to spy on us? Yeah, no point in denying it. Well, we've been using her to spy on you. Why? Why the hell do you care about me? That would be a tangent for our main conversation, which is all about the phase of the plan. Okay, we just finished phase two. Now, and it's the, the glass eye talking now. In phase three, which is ongoing, we allow them to think they are making an incredible heroic escape running down the street toward the pier. Phase four, shouts Livio Lieutenant. I love that. That's like such a great cut. Like it's sometimes Stevenson does something like that with the phase where I'm like, damn, damn, he's good. Damn. Yeah. When we get Scoozy, the man with the glass eyes says, <laughs> scooting his chair back, folding his napkin back onto the table. He gets up and walks on the dining room. Hero falls him above deck. We see a couple dozen Russians are like trying to get out on the pier at once, but they're bottlenecks, so they only get a few at a time. So they're strung out over this long space trying to get to the Kodiak Queen. There's a couple men who stay together, guarding around the center of something, protecting someone. Big wig, says the glass eye. And he pulls out a remote. Shaking his head philosophically. Yeah. Yeah. Pulls out a remote, presses a button. They blow up part of the underside of the Kodiak Queen. It starts to sink. And then they blow up like the the um like the first part the of the pier. Basically, yeah. so the, the pier turns into a raft that's now being towed by a boat that's like suddenly has like cables hooked up to it. With so the they big just, wigs on it. Yeah. So they yeah. tow all the big wigs out in, into the sea. Um yeah, I I this is really interesting because Hero is obviously like, you know, they, they know about Hero. They know that YT was spying on them. Hero is important to them for some reason or other. It's like Hero and YT are caught in this shit that they kind of had no idea what's going on. They right. had like the vaguest, like, you know, picture of like, well, it seems to have something to do with the feds and El Bob Rife and the Fall of Paz and Reverend Wayne. You know, they don't really know. It's something about Snow Crash. And obviously the mafia and, and uh, Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong are like well, much deeper in it. And like we've gotten like fifty pages of like mm-hmm. the the Lagos and the Librarian download, and Glass Eye will tell us in a few pages like yeah we already already know all that, mm-hmm. but it's like the redundancies though the guys the bigwigs that are on the uh, the this part of pier is being towed away they start pulling out their guns to shoot the boat sniper in the Kowloon shoots one of them and they all just throw their guns away and duck down. Like basically just like surrendering. Time for phase five. The man at the Glass Eye says a big fucking breakfast. <laughs> Yeah, the, the description. One of them sizes up the situation, aims his AK-47 across the water at the boat that's towing them, and loses his brains. 
Yeah. There's a sniper on the top deck of the Kowloon. So yeah. then we cut to this this dining room where they're eating. They're moving parallel with the boat, towing the segment of the pier. The big ones on the pier are sitting on their asses now, keeping their center of gravity low as the waves get choppier. When we get farther away from the land, the waves get bigger, the man with the glass eyes says. I hate that shit. All I want is to hang on to the breakfast long enough to tamp it down with some lunch. Amen, says Olivio, heaping some scrambled eggs onto his plate. I mean, because really, the mafia is like a little out of place on a boat, you know? Yeah, it's yeah. Not their, it's not their familiar turf. Fuck this chapter made me hungry as shit. Mm-hmm. I'm hungry know. for breakfast. Um, yeah, it's all says, this bacon and eggs and coffee. Yeah, just a classic, you know, American yeah. continental breakfast there. Some some diner food, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, here I asked about the guys in the pier segment. Glass Eye's like, fuck them. Let them freeze their asses <laughs> off. When they're brought on the boat, they won't be put in much of a fight. They might even talk to us. So everyone just is like tucking in for a while here. After a while, the, the man with the glass eye breaks the ice by announcing how great the food is and everyone agrees. Hero figures it's okay to talk now. I was wondering why you guys are interested in me. Hero yeah. figures that this is always a good thing to know in the case of the mafia. And the guy's like, we're all in the same happy gang. What game is that? The Lagos gang. And he's like, huh? He's like, well, it's not really his gang because Lagos, remember, is dead. It's it's kind of amusing that Lagos dies so early in the story yeah. when he's like well, so instrumental and, in like the backstory. And he's such a fucking dork the one but time we meet him. He is, but I think we're meant to think that like Hero turned into a total fucking dorky yeah. gargoyle too. Like once he yeah. got into it, you know, it's like yeah. once you start down that path, it's like it's it's inevitable. Well, it's interesting that he only really kept the dorkness up for like that one chapter and mm-hmm. then he became a cool motorcycle guy. Yeah. Uh, yeah or at so least like, Hero thinks he is, I guess. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. we, in that chapter, we're seeing Hero from somebody else's perspective, not Hero's. Which is weird because it's like, I don't know. I feel like at the end of every every one of these episodes, we're like, if you weren't into it before, you got to be into it now. But mm-hmm. like, we're on, we're on episode nine. Yeah. Uh, so it's like it's not really his game but he's the guy who put it together the nucleus around which is formed how and why and what are you talking about here ass okay he shoves a plate from the table folds his napkin and puts on the table Lagos had all these ideas ideas about all kinds of stuff so I noticed yeah, yeah he had stacks all over the place on different topics stacks where he had pulled together knowledge from all over the fucking map tied together he had these things stashed here and there around the metaverse waiting for the information to become useful uh, and so there's more than one of them, supposedly. Uh, a few years ago, Lagos approached L. Bob Rife. And so Rife had all these million programmers working for him. He's paranoid. They're stealing his data. And here was like, yeah, I know they're bugging their houses. And the guy says, the reason you know that is because he found it in Lagos' stack. And the reason Lagos bothered to look it up is because he was doing market research, looking for someone who might want to pay him hard cash for the stuff he dug up and the Babble and Apocalypse stack. And so it, it kind of sounds like basically... Lagos like has all this shit. He goes to El Bob Rife with it. Like maybe he'll have some reuse or some viruses or something like that. And El Bob Rife is just like steals Steals it all. Yeah. Yeah. Like not going to pay you, but like, like, you know, like rejects Lagos. And then Lagos just starts to notice like a few years later that all this weird shit is happening. It seems like it might be related to the stuff he dug up. Right. So, so Lagos is not a righteous dude. He's a dude looking to get paid. Mm -hmm. Then Rife steals all this shit from him. And then Lagos is like, well, I guess I'm a good guy now. I'm on the side of angels because that's what's left to me. Yeah. The good guys great, are the mafia and Mr. Lee's greater Hong Kong. Yeah. There's a great bit where, where Glass Eye says, see, I don't understand all this shit, but I guess he found an old virus or something. It was the land of the elite thinkers. The elite technological pre, uh, priesthood hero says, the infocrats, they wiped out the whole inf- infocracy of Sumer. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Glass Eye says. Uh, yeah. So, uh, uh, so Lagos in, in its original form, this virus would just like wipe out programs minds. That's not ideal, but the whole point is Lagos wanted to research this like informational warfare research. Uh, so he wanted to isolate this thing and modify it. So it could be used to control programmers without blowing their brain sky high. 
Does it work? Who knows? Rice stole Lagos' idea, just took it and ran with it. After that, sure. Lagos had no idea what Rice did with it. But a couple of years later, he started getting worried that about a lot of stuff he was seeding, like the explosive growth in Reverend's Wayne, the Ruskies who speak in tongues, the fact that Rife was digging up this old city, Irudu, the radio astronomy thing, just like all of a sudden, lots of concerning shit. So he approached this girl he used to go out with, Juanita. Yeah, nice girl. And he approached Mr. Lee. So you might say that a few different people have been working on this little project. And that's the end of the chapter. And now we know how everyone's been coming together. I mean, we've really solidified the factions here. I and mean, we, we suspected it in the last episode, but now we really see who's on whose side here. Mafia, Ng, yeah. Security, Mr. Lee's Greater Hong Kong, YT and Hero, Juanita. They're on the good side. Um, and I mean, presumably the Black Sun would be, I guess, you know, although they don't really seem to know about it. Well, I don't know, because I mean, what is who who is the Black Sun? Was it David? I mean, it's David's David. Gone. David owns it. In theory, David would be on this side if he was not a vegetable, you know. Well, but I don't know. I mean, I feel like David was just kind of this like ho- like flighty guy who was I don't know. But I feel like it's like the hacker ethos or whatever. Like nobody wants to align themselves with El Bob Rife well, and the, like the Christian. In general, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the whole thing is is attacking hacker brains, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess the hackers would be against it. But yeah, on the other side are. The Russian United Orthodox, the U.S. government, uh, Elbov Rife, and like religious fundamentalists, the Reverend Wayne's Pearly Gates. So just your worst fear, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's totally not at all like in modern day where this weird alliance between, you know, some of the people in the government and the Russians and fundamentalist Christians, you know, that, that and definitely, the Murdochs. definitely yeah. doesn't happen. Yeah. Yeah. Good times. All right. Well, that is I mean, good. Somebody fucking nails Neil Stevenson down and be like, how did you predict the future? I was listening to actually a podcast about Snow Crash once. I might have mentioned this before, but like this is like several years ago. And like all they seem to want to do is mention like what technology he got right or wrong, mm-hmm. which I feel like is such a bland. And it's like there's so yeah, much more going on here than just like, ooh, he predicted the metaverse. you know? Yeah, yeah. And well, it's just- not even really about like whether his prediction is right. I think it's just the way that he sees america the way that he's interpreted it in the 90s and kind of like twisting and extrapolating it to like to abs- the point of absurdity but not unrecognizability you know yeah and, and i think i think I, I i don't know this book really tied to me my understanding of history and, and the the tapestry that we've been unfolding i can't speak to where we were in the 70s i wasn't alive in watergate with carter mm-hmm. with the oil well, crisis a, I, but like Shit that I knew of and that I've I've learned after the fact about Reaganomics and what have you leading into the 90s and what I saw there. Like you definitely see how it fed into the 2000s and the road we got to now. Yeah. Yeah. And granted, although this book mostly for the most part takes place in America and is the main characters are American, there's a real like a, a lack of American exceptionalism. And the writing, you know, it's not like, well, America will always be great forever. It's like, no, the, the U.S. government's just like this like shitty shell of itself and they're evil, you know. And 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 then it's not like it's not treated as inevitable that the American empire will reign. You know, it's like he just he's he sees the extreme long game of, of you know, societies and, and countries and whatnot and how they rise and fall. Well, it, it reminds me a little bit of a, a movie you and I both have appreciation of Alien Resurrection. Sure. What's his name? It's just like, where are we going? Earth? that shithole what a shithole that's, man yeah. that's how they like view america and mm-hmm. it's it's not wrong yeah all right well that is it for this episode uh we'll be back to talk about chapters 46 through 50 uh, 72 50 chapters 50? total so we're definitely we're, we're headed to the third act i think if not in the yeah. next segment then the one after 
Did we pay the bills? Uh, yeah, let's pay the bills a little. Um, if you like the podcast, you want to support us. We happen to be authors ourselves, not at all like Neil Stevenson. Uh, we wrote some teen murder mysteries about a girl detective named Trouble. You can find out more. Go to mynameistrouble.com. There's two books out in the series right now. Third book is dropping September 29th. You can pre-order it now. I'm not sure when this episode is going to drop, so it might already be out. But you can pre-order it on Kindle and Apple Books. Uh, it'll also be available through Amazon for paperback and hardcover on the 29th and through other booksellers as well. Um, so if you want to read a, a fun little murder mystery, definitely check it out. My name is trouble.com. Do it. All right. We'll be back next time. Peace. Later.